Hello and welcome to the Hashtag Ball is BNBA podcast, your favorite NBA podcast in an Indian accent. Uh, you're going to listen to part two of our episode with coach Ronnie Nunn of Nunn Better Refs. In this episode, uh, we talk about a lot of things which you would have seen in the trailer. So sit back and uh, plug in your earphones. Check it out. Fate of the universe on the line. I want Iguodala. I'm Kevin Durant. You know who I am. One little controversial question I had to ask. Like, you were director of, you know, officials uh, back when the uh, Donaghy scandal hit the NBA. And I'm sure it caused a lot of strife to you personally, to NBA fans extremely a lot. Like, and, and the NBA brand as a whole, right? Can you take us through... Uh, because I, what I feel is the NBA has done a lot since then to one of, first of all, like curb this practice, support referees through, you know, their last two minute reports or making sure that teams get fined if they are inappropriate, making sure that, you know, the, like people like you train uh, referees to make them bigger, bringing uh, females into the referee, like making it an all round holistic development. But that's, when that hit the, when that scandal hit the newspapers, that was, I'm sure it was like a, a little, you know, painful experience for you as well. Can you talk a little bit about that episode? Yeah, it's 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 uh, it's still you know it still stays in my craw, as they say, uh, because uh, when when you, it's like uh, like I mentioned to you, if you have a group of men and ladies that are with you and you have a team of people, and then on this chain, and all of a sudden there's this link that breaks, uh, it, it it just it just kills the chain and then you can repair it and uh and throw out the link uh it was an awful awful thing uh to ever have happened i think it uh it marred it really kind of marred my status uh you know it, it it's it was bigger than i could ever be it was big enough for the nba they had to make changes uh they have to make uh you know uh, my daughter who's in marketing and public relations said, uh, Dad, you know, be ready because it's hard to be in charge of a group where one person in your group has done something so severe. Uh, they yeah. Don't be feel bad if they uh, make a change and, at the end. And it was very hard for me to accept that thinking because it was coming from my daughter, you know, where I'm supposed to be telling her all these all these things of life. But you know how that is when you when you raise young people up well, they end up teaching you later what's what's what what is happening up that day, like you guys are doing with podcasts and, and helping me get on the show. But the bottom line <laughs> is, uh, it was it was uh, it made me feel angry, it made me feel sad, it made me question how we could miss some of these subtleties. But the issue was the missing of some of the subtleties of let's say plays happened to everybody. They, they happen. I mean, they're, they're, it's not like, oh my goodness, if you can't see that was a goaltend, there's something going on wrong out here. That ball was well on its way down. And, uh, and why would a guy not call that? How could that not be called? Then that's suspicious. So the things that were happening every once in a while, uh, were not, did not rise to anything. I only remember one incident where, uh, uh Donaghy had made a call from a distance having to do with a block charge where you couldn't see the restricted area line. And, and I, you know, it got to me and I remember having a conversation with him about it. And I, and I knew because Donaghy's, Donaghy's goal was to promote 
himself. He wanted to become a crew chief. He wanted to have, you know, more rounds in the playoffs. And by the way, he had talent. He definitely was a talented young man who I think could have been a very good official for the NBA. But sometimes officials take on calls to show their strengths or to show that they're engaged. And you would say, whoa, whoa, this is, you have to let your, your partnering official, your colleague process that play. Those moments come up. Um, so, and by the way, how could you see the line? I mean, it's not, you know, well, Ronnie, I really thought he was outside the line. It looked easy. And I didn't get an earlier response from the referee there, uh, who, by the way, became a Hall of Famer. And I was saying, uh, you know, we don't need that. Do not do that. Cause that's not how to show me that you're getting better or that you're engaged or you've got intestinal fortitude, better known as guts, that you have the guts to make a critical call. So when I saw that, I took it as uh, knowing his personality more than finding a theme or a, uh, or a trending of this kind of work. And I think, um, you know, I have assistants that are supervisors for each group of officials of so 15 in a group. So they monitor the games and I think they were just as surprised. I mean, uh, you know, I don't see every game, but I get info. So they were just as surprised. I think we all were very surprised. And uh, to end the conversation on it, basically, is to say, um, Donaghy ruined his life. And, uh, and, and, and I think he had a street kind of sense about him that made him tough as a good referee. Uh, but also made him stay somewhere in that street mentality from where he launched from. And, you know, I had a street mentality from life because it was around me, but not because I embraced it. I had to come out of it. You know, I had good parents to get me to say, you've got to come out of this and become something in life. Um, then to be careful not to get involved with street things, whether it's gambling, drugs, um, uh, uh, thievery, uh, uh, gang orientation. You know, I, I was not going to be part of that. Sports was wonderful for me. Donaghy had those things, but he also liked to flirt, I believe, amongst the old neighborhood folk. And that's where he ended up getting in trouble. Coach, so I said I'm going to ask you some Kareem questions. So yeah, uh, I, ha- I have a lot of them, but I- I'm just going to let you talk about uh, kind of how good Kareem was. I mean, we all know he's, he's kind of like one of the best offensive weapons. Uh, but I think you saw him probably at the, at the kind of the later stage. Uh, was he, and, and there, and there's always this debate that who was more important for the, for the Lakers. And I always say it's Kareem because the Lakers are so loaded. Yes, you had Magic, but then you had also had, you know, the other guys who were extremely, extremely good. Uh, so I, you know, I really have no question as, as such, but I just wanted you to like say good things about Kareem and say how amazing it was. That's what I wanted. Well, uh, you know, I, I, I knew of Kareem as a high school player. Obviously he is, uh, yeah. three, when I was a freshman in high school, he was a senior. So he was the talk of the town. And, uh, it's, you know, actually it was incredible that, uh, St. John's, which became the paramount university with winning games in the NC2A, uh, they really wanted Kareem. And uh, it was also, he came from a Catholic high school, Power Memorial. And sometimes many kids that come from parochial schools go to parochial universities. So St. John's was a a nationally well-known basketball program at at the university. And it would be normal for him to go there and and sort of like all of New York to embrace him as as theirs, you know. And I think they've always done that. But obviously he went out to... uh, 
to UCLA and, and a, a, a tremendous leader in John Wooden. And, uh, and he liked to listen in New York, you got cold weather, you got sleet, you got, you got summers, but, uh, you know, in, in California, it's California dreaming. It's California. Yeah. <laughs> California breezy, uh, sunny California. Uh, so, uh, I'm sure that, that, that got him out there. The bottom line was I've watched him for so long be so effective. Remember when he joined the Milwaukee Bucks as a drafted person? Uh, he changed the franchise immediately, but they yeah. couldn't win to the level that they wanted to until Oscar Robertson and old Oscar Robertson, who was great. Very uh, old, yeah. yeah, who joined them. When he joined them, even in his slower, uh, physical movements, he was that still that effective to where then they finally won. And then, of course, uh, Milwaukee at that time was a difficult city to enjoy as much. And uh, having come from UCLA and, and he ended up going to the Lakers. But I would have to tell you that uh, when I speak to people, because I, too, believe that if someone would say to me, if you're going to start a team, which player would you have first to start in that team? Which draft player would you draft first? Is it Michael? Is it LeBron? Is it Jerry West? Is it Oscar? Is it this? I would say in the era that I really kind of understood basketball, it would be Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Number, yes. number one. Finally. The only other thing that I get from people older than me was, Ronnie, you never really saw a, a fleet-footed, do-everything person that Will Chamberlain did. You never saw him in his heyday. If you look at old films and watch him run up and down the court, see, when we see him, we see him win with seven, with the 76ers, uh, when it was a physical game more. So he's center there. Then we see him say, I'm not going to score. I'm just going to rebound for you and, and be a good post player. And he wins with the Lakers. But this was at a different time in his career. When you look at him for, uh, back, he is more fleet footed than Kareem whatever, ever really was. But I don't think anyone to this day, when you think about a man who's committed to his game, uh, because I think Wilt, it came so easy for Wilt. He, he didn't have the, he, he just didn't get into it. He was kind of a cool guy in that way. But as you know, Kareem is a student. He's a reader. He's a, uh, an intelligent, uh, person about things and no matter what he's talking about. And, uh, we, and, and nobody to this day, which is an amazing thing. Nobody to this day has got the incredible patented sky hook that Kareem has. I don't understand why nobody has it. How could you not? Everybody's trying to shoot like Jordan. Everybody's trying to step back like Harden. Everybody's trying to do uh, incredible things like Curry. Uh, but no one has got a, a, a sky hook that was absolutely unstoppable. And the one thing I remember is Magic Johnson saying, you know, we had this uh, fast break. Uh, I forgot what they called it. Showtime. 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 Yes. And we got this showtime. We get it off the board and we're gone and I'm, I'm passing it. But when it breaks down and they stop that fast break, which he said, everybody knows it's number 33. 
and the ball is thrown. <laughs> we it need goes to the captain. <laughs> we got to go to the captain, you know. And uh, I think that's one of the greatest things because Magic is obviously one of the greatest players of all time. A modern day uh, Oscar Robertson, uh, not as good a shooter as Oscar, but I mean a, a, cont- a tr- controlling factor in the game to manage a great team. Even though he had Worthy, even though he had Rambus, even though he had Byron Scott, even though he had Cooper. Uh, he, he had, he had Kareem Abdul Jabbar and he never, never forgot that. And that's why they had such great runs. Kareem to me is the first guy you got to pick. Uh, you know, I guess after that, you can go with, you can argue about Michael Jordan, which I, I would think have to be next. Um, but that, that, you know, there's a lot of tough, the only person I thought ever followed Michael with the intention of trying to be as great as he and really had reached that point. To a degree, it was Kobe. Kobe was the closest thing to mimic Michael. They had the focus of just being a a scoring assassin, and they were very just hard, very hard to beat. Plus their natural abilities and so on. But you can start picking people after that, where the however you want to do it. I mean, there's some great players in the NBA. Larry Bird is just a subtle, like the second coming of a Rick Barry. Uh, you, you, oh, Rick Barry reference here. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, Rick Barry is a great player, but he. But I think he launched a, a Larry Bird, you know? I mean, Rick Barry uh, was one of the first uh, players that was in control of a team from a point forward uh, where he had shooters and one rebound. I mean, he had uh, he yeah. had some nice players with him, um, but he, he was, you know, uh, Jamal Wilkes was a fine player that played the other forward position. Gus Williams was, a, was the wizard uh, of, of, of the backcourt for them. Uh, Charlie Johnson came off the back. I mean, I mean, these... You have to know that I love this game so much, like you do. Yeah, I, I wish <laughs> I wish I could have the podcast, but I don't know. I, I, I don't want to. You're, you're I don't always know invited I'm, here. I'm you're with you. I'm with here. you. You 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 make me happy by allowing me to express all of this uh, passion that I have, and uh, and also it, it gets me above the many mistakes that I've had. You know, in in on the basketball court, I've had my fair share of mistakes too. So. Um, as a referee, but my joy of the game was, I always tell people, uh, I was a baseball player and I loved it much easier to maybe make the pros as that. Um, but I told them I left baseball for basketball and people say, why? I said, because baseball doesn't have any cheerleaders. Basketball. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the cheerleaders, the the Laker girls, the Laker girls, the cheerleaders are right there. Why would I want to go? Why would any guy want to go away from that? You know, so, that's that's fair. That's, that, fair. that's a joke. That's a joke. That's yeah, a joke. yeah, no, we, we get it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Like, so Kareem. Uh, so Kareem is uh, is 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 really the greatest of a long time era. Really. Thank you. I just have to say thank you for this. Because <laughs> yeah, I've had this. This is because I this I always I always argue with the, all the Jordan fans that Kareem was just the best ever because he did it at all stages, you know, unstoppable, and you know, obviously everybody loves Jordan, so there's always that constant battle. So yeah, there's no way if you remember when Michael really was playing well and he came into his own, he had to try to beat the Celtics right in the East, mm-hmm. and he couldn't beat them. I mean, I think he scored 48 one time or something. And, you know, when you have Bird, yeah, Bird and, and, and McHale and Parrish and Dennis Johnson in the backcourt and Danny Ainge and others uh, that joined that team, uh, when you have that kind of potency, as the Celtics have always been known for over the years, um, 
when they had Russell, you know, which is another name I didn't mention that Bill Russell was another phenom uh, of a defender and player, um, that, that was in the game as well that created that mm-hmm. whole, he was the core of that team to do those things. Michael could not beat those people on their own, but by the same token, I mean, Kareem couldn't beat uh, certain people without ad- additional help. So I yeah. don't want to mis- misconstrue anything. But when Magic Johnson tells me when we really need a basket, we went to Kareem because he 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 had the convert- convertible ability to, to do that. And Michael can too, but uh, I still have to go with Kareem. So... Vinny, I mean, I mean, I'm, Magic. Magic may have said that, but he didn't pass him the ball for that seventy-six. I mean, that uh, uh, final against the Celtics. He hit the baby hook himself. So yes, like, yes. Oh, and he, by the way, he, he loved the baby hook. He yeah. he loved it. You know, uh, listen, Magic could play every position, as we know, yeah. which is also unique. You know, he had the players come. Look at that. Let me like LeBron today. He he's another unique player. You know, some of the great players, given their youth, could play in any era. Yeah. Will, Will Chamberlain in his youth could play today. Oh, I mean, oh yeah. I mean, I mean, come on. I mean, exactly. <laughs> Kareem, if he was healthy and well, and you know, young like he normal, could play now. He could play now. I mean, he put Kareem <laughs> right. Sixty-year-old <laughs> Kareem. Right. Yeah, uh, you know, the only person with that kind of phenomenal athletic ability from over the years is obviously was Wilt. And like I tell you, one time I think when Wilt was fifty and Muhammad Ali was the champion best uh, boxer of all time. Uh, Wilt said something to somebody, you know, I might want to try to box at 50. <laughs> and everybody he said, he can do it. You know, <laughs> he can do anything. I, I think there was like a quote where I think I posted it on Instagram also is that, uh, I yeah, think they, they Wilt was given. Hands and all. No, no, no. Wilt was given yeah. money by, I think, the New Jersey Nets uh, yes, to, to play when 50. he, to, to, to play when he was 50 yeah. for, for okay. them. Yes, there you go. So, uh, you know, we're, Crazy. we're, and this is one time I could be with you. We're all young, uh, enough to not have known this about Will. You know, we, we were, we're young, you know, in your case, in your case, you weren't born. And in my case, I was too young <laughs> to really recognize his greatness. But all the others say, look, Ronnie, I've seen Kareem. I've seen the, this Will Chamberlain. You, you had to see him, you know, but everything is, is relative to the era and things. Yeah. And, uh, you know, all I can say is, uh, you know, God bless those that have made us entertained in the Absolutely. ability of sport. I mean, there's just something about sports that say, I, I, I put my pants on the same way. I, I, I can run in this race right next to this guy. How come he's so much faster than me? <laughs> what is it that I don't have that? You know, how can he jump so high? How can oh, Michael God. make such shots? I can't do that, but it's, it's a gift. It's a gift from above, as they say. Absolutely. No doubt. Okay. Uh, Ronnie, we will uh, end that segment with uh, this. Uh, Thing that we do with our guests, we ask them, you know, questions. It's a choice sort of question, so you can oh. this or that. We need. Are you ready for? This I'm ready for this or that. I'm ready for this or that. Okay. All right. So, uh, which basketball did you like as a fan more? Like, even though you're a referee, I'm going to ask you from your fan's perspective: '80s basketball or '80s NBA or '90s NBA? Oh, uh, you know, I don't think there was much of a difference, but I guess. I, I guess 80s, I was young in the game of refereeing, so I didn't have, I didn't have it as well, you know, in my hand than I, as I had it in the 90s when I finally got mm-hmm. to the finals. I had it in the 90s, so 90s was uh, for me great, uh, but for the 80s was big time basketball. I enjoyed that. I would say 80s over 90s. Okay. 
Vinit, yeah. you got one? Yeah, yeah, I got one. Uh, who, which player got more like beaten down? Uh, and and obviously not like they got beat, but you couldn't call falls on. Either was it Michael Jordan or Shaquille? Like, uh, who got hammered more? Oh, I I think uh, I think Shaquille was. I think Shaquille yeah. was. I'll never forget mm-hmm. uh, one time there was some discussion about you know the complaints that were coming out of uh, Orlando at the time before he was a Laker, and uh, and of course if you see him then he was so he was much slimmer, just like everybody young. And, and I remember him coming out to the captain's meeting, and uh, and as I approached him and shook his hand, he said to me, Ronnie, I am not going to let them beat me up tonight. Mm. And I said, Shaquille, nobody's, that's not going to happen in this game. So, And I was always like that. I had a conscientiousness about the nature of fouls and big men getting fouled because thinking that he's bigger, he can withstand a greater hit. That is the concept mm. there. But uh, yeah. then I, I saying that kind of put the cherry on the cake of what was being murmured around that he was being hit a, a little too hard and uh, and I I never had a game like that with him that uh, but but I can understand people doing that people doing that you know so uh, that's illegal I mean you get hit, you get hit hard even though you can withstand it you know somebody's got to pay the penalty yeah. yeah you either get a foul you get a flagrant or you get thrown out I, I have no problem with that so when he said that from a young man that was very respectful and very powerful and by the way i think will chamberlain created the the, the tenor and the comportment style of the the biggest strongest men throughout the basketball career of people the biggest and strongest men who could have really hurt people uh, yeah. th- th- I think they all followed Wilt's uh, temperament of how to deal with people less strong than you, because they could Shaquille O'Neal could have hurt somebody out there. Mark, oh, Mark Eaton, <laughs> as quiet as it's kept, Mark Eaton at about seven six or seven five. Not only he wasn't skinny like Manute, he was one powerful guy. I, I once had a play where Charles Barkley went into him. And, and Charles Barkley went backwards, and, and, and I just said, this has got to be a block, you know? And, and I called a block, and I think it was a third foul on Mark early in the game. And as he was coming out, and he said to me, he bent over, really completely bent over to speak to me. And I'm tall at 6'3", and he said, Ronnie, could you explain to me what I did? And I said, I, I, I don't know. I said, I'll, I'll, I'll take a look at it. He said, Ronnie, I was just standing there. <laughs> so I said, okay, let me look at it. And I remember going to the locker room, coming out and said, people have got to understand that even though Charles took a heck of a, and he's a strong guy. Charles yeah. is a strong guy. And he, was, yeah. and he had his momentum. And this happened. So thank goodness for the big man in the league that had uh, a, a, some belief, some belief system that they were not going to hurt people. And and that means that's for many of the big men that that have, that we've had. Go ahead, another question. I apologize. Yes, um, my question is: uh, Is it true that refs sometimes make up calls? Like if they had a wrong decision on one side, they go the other side. They give a wrong decision there as well, just to well, you know, even well, things out. Well, you know what? The answer is no. But I will tell you that there are no makeup calls. But I will tell you that in the earlier periods of time and days, officials mm-hmm. did do a kind of a makeup call. If there was a really a, a, um, a foul that, for example, that should have been called down one end and there's real disruption about it not being called, 
on the other end, they would be very maybe tight on a travel. They go, hold up, hold up, travel. And, and so they would, so they would give the ball back. Uh, mm. now this occurred because it was within, it was, it did, it didn't come down from the NBA offices that way. It was like a internal thing that officials saw the game in an art form more than in a legalese form. And they would think that they were trying to keep the game honest. It was not, it was, it wasn't about a loss of integrity. It was trying to balance, uh, the nature of being fair with people, you know, yet we also thought we missed the call. So, but today, you know, and, and during my era, that was not the, uh, that was not the manner of life. So makeup calls do not exist, but people believe it because it's, you know, when, when something was in the roots, it's hard to pull the roots all out. And, and know that that it's not it's not up in the trunk or the branches of the tree anymore. It's it's gone. Okay. Uh, better okay. playmaker, Magic or LeBron? Uh I would think I would think uh, Magic, and I think because uh, I, I don't have the data on this, but I think uh, uh, LeBron is a little bit more careless with his uh, with his uh, with the ball. Sometimes he he'll pass it. I think he takes uh, shots that are, are not not necessary at times because I think that's just the nature of today's game. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think Magic is uh, is probably the better playmaker. But I will have to tell you that the the, the next guy that's big and strong like him is, is LeBron. His mindset is to be a good playmaker, that which is a great thing because he 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 can go down and score and want to score anytime he yeah, wants anytime, to. Anytime, I mean, anytime. He can go and do yeah. what he wants to do, but he has a, a real internal sense of managing his team. And I think every once in a while he pops out with some of the things, uh, maybe in today's game, that he thinks he could do and should do. Uh, and by the way, he makes conversions and sometimes he doesn't. But Magic would not take bad shots or he's much more cautious about managing his team. Okay. So my standard question for every guest is, who, <laughs> Kobe Bryant or Tim Duncan, who had a better basketball career? Oh, wow. I, you know what? I should be asking you that because I know you have all the stats on it. Um, no, just, just from your sense of uh, You know what? I have always had a hard time, and I mean this sincerely, with all the respect in the world for Tim Duncan, of trying to understand how really great he was and how he really was the core of that team, even with a great player that joined him in David Robinson. Um, Duncan just, I mean, I, I think that's a great question that I would love to ask uh, Coach Popovich. You know, what was it about him? I know one thing, my games, you know, as a referee, the teams that are most organized are the teams easiest to ref. They you know exactly what they're going to do. Not only that they no, it's not even knowing what they do. It's that they so easily do what they do to pick, they make you an outside piece to this thing. They 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 don't involve you in their work. They they you know every once in a while something pops up or there's a call here and there, and maybe Popovich wants to make sure that that we're not he's not being taken advantage of. But basically, the best teams need less officiating. To be an issue for them. They, they will accept the mistakes because they're so, they're such a good unified group. So I think, uh, you know, no one would have, uh, by the way, that talks about another myth, big city versus small city on, on, on slanting the game, right? I mean, Chicago, yes. New York, LA, you know, here's a, here's a little town in, uh, in Texas, San Antonio. San Antonio. 
uh, which has a, a dominant uh, Mexican-American uh, diversity uh, group of folk down there. God bless those folks who support the, the Spurs. And here's a team wins four four finals, four championships in, uh, I don't know, X amount of years. So yeah, nine years. Uh, so Duncan is hard to, you know, it's hard to see the, the majesty of Duncan compared to the flamboyancy of, uh, of Kobe Bryant, Kobe. you know? Yeah. But, uh, but, uh, Tim Duncan was always a gentleman as, as was Kobe with me. I just, uh, I cared for them uh, both in terms of enjoying to work with them. You know, you know, you care for people in terms of not pr- protecting them, but enjoying their company. I enjoyed their company. I, I was always enjoying the company of players. Uh, not because I, I didn't make it, be, because I was a ref and it was almost like being in a big phys ed classroom. I wanted everybody in the classroom to be successful to the level of their ability. That's how I went to the court every, every night. And, uh, and so, I so you, did, you, you, so you didn't call Tim, you didn't, you didn't give a tea to Timmy when you were sitting on the bench laughing, right? <laughs> You're not the. <laughs> hey. I was the director of officials when, uh, I think that, I think Joe Crawford was that the epitome yeah. of, uh, of just impulsive behavior, impulsive, <laughs> impulsive behavior. Listen, I take nothing away from Joe Crawford. He has a great passion. He, he came in the league young. He, uh, they uh, pushed him along and because they embraced him and, uh, you know, the, he became something that was almost uncontrollable. And of course, he went to work. You know, he went to work with himself later on in the years. Even when I refed, I think he saw a, a sports psychologist about his uh, control issues. But uh, I think I think uh, Joe Joe's era of that type of person cannot work today in anything. I, I, yeah, you know, there, there's a there's a diplomacy factor everywhere today in the world and in the world of basketball as well. And as and that's why I think some of the younger people can become too diplomatic and, and, and not and not manage uh, authority or proper policing without taking a billy club out and banging on somebody. And uh, Joe Crawford had that kind of uh, thing. Uh, he also got away with it. He also got away with it a lot because he was a highly respected official. So also you know, kind of like a character. Yeah, he's a yeah. character of a, of an era, also of an era. And, uh, and I think he's learned a lot about that. And that takes nothing away from his officiating. Uh, he, you know, every official has his, his own internal issues in terms of play calling and trying to be better and understand. But that, that, that's his MO. Uh, I think he's going to be a Hall of Famer. Um, but, uh, and, and rightly so from the many, many years of his work. Uh, but I think that remember I talked to you about mimicking referees also copycat other successful referees. And that's what you have to watch out for. Joe's success during his era does not mean that it, it should be the same success for you, you know, in a different right. era. You know what I mean? It's like anything else in basketball or in life. You know, some people are successful because of the era and the situation. But if you do that, you know, it may hurt you completely because that, that error is done. That error is done. I think the answer was Tim Duncan. So let's, let's go with that. Oh, that's okay. what he said. That's what he said. <laughs> You know what? I gotta. I, I well, first of all, I probably would say Kobe. I would probably say Kobe. All right, I'll be honest with you. No, I, I, would, I, I would probably say Kobe uh, over Duncan. But uh, you know, it's like trying to say you know 
Michael over Kareem. You know, it's a very, very, very. Yeah, yeah. That, that's why. That's what makes the question so interesting. Because anyway, anyway, he's going to edit the part to make it seem like you said Tim Duncan. So, yeah, yeah <laughs> you know, if you're talking individual uh, talent for an individual show, oh, Kobe. you know, it's different than saying how does this person, yeah. how does this person make a team better, or who who is the foundational cornerstone of a team. You know, it's it's usually has been the bigs, a, a big. Over yeah. over a uh, a unique scoring player. Okay, I apologize. Go ahead, go. Okay, so my last question is: uh, Which one of these things gave you more pleasure? The Mexico Press's North American Player of Decade or coaching pace? Uh, what gave what gave me more pleasure uh, was Mexico. Uh, Mexico. My college career, really, if you look at it all together, it was just what I would call for where I was wanted to project myself and where some would project me was fair. I mean, I, I was, I was, I, I, I had good moments and then not good moments and good moments. And it was because I didn't understand the game better. It took a foreign country with foreign speaking people and a wonderful coach in Gustavo Sayante, who was also their Olympic coach to sit me down 19 games in the first season of 72 games and said, you are either going to be a quarterback or you're going to go home. And uh, he called oh, wow. he called point point guard work uh, quarterback, and I, I you know and I, I didn't get this to him until around the nineteenth game where I would come in the game for about three minutes I'd shoot a shot and then all of a sudden the horn would ring I'd look over there the sound and I would have I'm coming out of the game so uh, the Mexico experience though I incurred hepatitis there which lingered with me for a while. I would say it was one of the greatest places for me to learn basketball as a player. Uh, and, and, and it's also the, one of the greatest things that made me a true candidate for trying out for the NBA at that point after not my college career, but I had learned so much and, and I did make a, a good stand in both places when I tried out. But again, uh, in, in Denver, unfortunately, uh, they had already signed their people and in New York where there was an opening, my, my illness came back to affect me. So I got sick in that country. But I embraced the people in their country, and they they taught me things about life beyond the basketball court, uh, that are more humanitarian in nature. And, and I love mm. the Mexican people, and I learned about sixty percent of the language. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, that's very useful in New York. Yeah, that's very useful in New York. Uh, yeah. But uh, but like I said, uh, you know, the community of the world today and basketball brings us all together. Uh, it's uh, you know your your life is ahead of you. You guys are doing great. You can only imagine the other things you're going to be doing. And, uh, and, and it's just so happy that I'm still around to share some things with you and to be part Thank of you. Me. And uh, my heritage and background affords me the sense and experience how unification of people are much more important than the division of them. Well, I have one last question, Ashwin. I, I don't know. I, so, so, so this is obviously we have run out. We have gone way above our time. Yeah. But... There's this one player that I have, I'm a massive fan of, and I don't hear anybody talk about him. Is Moses Malone, oh. and and he was so good. Like his highlight reel is just so dominant. Can, can you talk a little bit more about Moses Malone? Like, you know, um, th- th- shame on me, shame on me <laughs> for not mentioning another uh, great '80s center. Yeah, I mean, you you're not you have Julius Irving. Uh, you have these players over there with, with him, Charles Barkley, who joins in later on. Nobody's going any, yeah, no one's going anywhere without Moses. And, uh, you know, one of the few that transferred out of high school into the pros. 
Uh, Moses just was super. He was a low key. He, you know, he was like a Duncan, but, but even better, yeah. but even better. Better, uh, better. Yeah, yeah he was easy, better yeah. because he, he, um, he could score better also. He also created a very interesting way of playing. Um, he would throw, he would shoot shots that he, when he was close to the basket, that he didn't get a good look at the shot or the rim. He would shoot shots against the board and then retrieve it and then go back up. That's why yeah. he had a lot of, a lot the of rebounds. Ex- yeah. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of rebounds more than, uh, than you normally would see. But I remember one play with Moses, um, when I first came in the league. As a matter of fact, it was, it was my, one of my first games, uh, where I met Julius Irving and we had played against each other in college. And when we went to the captain's meeting, Julius came out and looked at me and he said, Ronnie Nunn? And I said, yay, Jules. I used to call him Jules, you know. And uh, he said, what are you doing? I said, he said, you're reffing? I said, I guess so. Who knew, you know? But <laughs> later on with that team, Moses uh, gets the ball in the post and he's turning and he dribbles in and he's turning to do a spin move to go for a shot. And a guard comes down and, and, and slaps him a little. I'm trying to say is. Is that hand on the ball or is that wrist, you know? And I'm looking and somebody else comes by and bumps in. And, and then finally I said, no, this is a foul. I call it. And then he goes up and he's hit a third time and he and he dunks it, you know? And I have to wipe it, you know? It's because I, I called the foul before. And he says to me, Ronnie, wait, in a way, because he, he mumbled a lot. He mumbled a lot. Uh, so so I, I said, what, what? He said, Ronnie, forget those little mosquito touches. Get the get, get him when I'm on my way up, so I get the N one. I said, "Okay, Moses, I'll try to I'll try to con- contain myself because <laughs> he's telling me don't call that. That's nothing to me." Uh, you know, one time I gave Moses a technical foul once. He was angry at me for a call. Obviously, I don't remember. I was probably wrong, and he, he you know. So I, I I give him a technical, and then after the game. My supervisor of officials was there, Daryl Garrison, who was a great leader for all of us at that era. Um, he said to me, what did Moses say to you that you gave him a tack? I said, well, he was complaining. He said, yeah, I know he was complaining, but what did he say? I have to put it down in the report. I said, I, I don't know what he said because I couldn't understand him. He said, well, that's why you don't want to give him a technical foul because you don't know what he said. <laughs> You can't report it. <laughs> yeah, you can't. If you can't put it down, and he just mumbled it. I mean, he didn't gesture. Uh, he didn't. He didn't. You know, put up a middle finger or something that was really, you know, unsportsmanlike. If you don't know, he said Moses mumbles. Just leave him alone unless he does something more, because he, he just has a heat of the moment. That was the first time I thought about. Uh, being taught later on heat of the moment things that players mm-hmm. do, but they evaporate and it, it goes away very quickly. So that's awesome. my Moses yeah. Malone two stories. Thank you. Thanks for that. that. Yeah, I love the guy. I, I watch his highlights almost. I'm so like glad every, you mentioned him. I, I, you know, he was wonderful to work with too. And, uh, you know, I, the only thing I could say about officiating and players is the patience they had with my errors, you know, the patience they had with my errors. And I used to tell, um, you know, people, whether it was a Joe Crawford or others, it's not, it's not the fact that you've got all your plays right. When you get a play wrong and they turn around and want to go after you, it's because they don't like you. 
they don't believe in you. They don't feel that you will prosper them on the floor in your honesty and in your decision-making of fairness. I said, you know, I've made more errors than some of the guys, but they they would recognize somehow or another that it was an honest mistake. So I think mm-hmm. that's the problem with sometimes with coaches and players and thinking that this referee is vindictive uh, or things like that. And I think in the older era, before my era, for sure, uh, I think referees tried to manage, manage players uh, without giving technicals. In other words, uh, if you talk a little too much and I'm pissed off with you, uh, here's a here's another yeah. foul for you. You know, here's another foul for you. Um, so I, 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 I've heard about that, and I used to say, I hope I never see it, uh, especially when if I became a director. You are not going to manage people on what they deserve to have. You're going to manage people on the manner in which they comport themselves within the guidelines of, of good sportsmanship and respect for not only the officials, but respect for themselves also. Uh, so th- that was one of the things that I was... A, that I, I learned about officiating that I would never have known prior to it, you know. Awesome. Well, on that good note. All right. Yeah, thank, I hope we can so cut. Much, I so hope much. we can cut this up. They can make a show out of it. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> we, maybe, we'll figure it out. You yeah, may have to do a part it. one and a part two. I apologize. Yeah, I think it's 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 uh, it's our pleasure, you know, listening to your stories and your. Like laughter and all the happiness that you have in sharing these stories, you know, it's our pleasure more than anything else. Thank you so much, Ronnie, for sparing listeners' time. And thanks for thanks for everything. You know, I mean, I mean, I'm so glad that I get to speak to somebody about the '80s era because that's one of my favorite basketball eras ever. So. Well, I have to tell you, I thank you both. Uh, you know, I'm proud of both of you, and uh, I'm so thankful to have a connection with you from so far away, um, and. Um, I just, uh, I, you know, referees are the least important people in a basketball event until the ball is being thrown up at center court. <laughs> then they want to know who the referees are, you know, <laughs> who are these guys, you know, uh, and to, for you to have me and to, uh, uh, give me a platform uh, to speak about things of this nature is, is wonderful, not only for me as a referee, but for all referees to be able to share things with, with people because it's a kind of area that people don't know and deal with very much, you know, mm-hmm. and, 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 and I get all of that. And rightly so. We're not stars, but we're, we're, we're part of the, uh, the picture of the thing. And, uh, you know, and, and you've got to manage that well so people can prosper in what they do, whether it's coaching or, or, uh, playing or even in having fans enjoy the game. They don't need poor officiating that can ruin the game. Um, but it, it's, it's, it's seldom, it's very seldom in the NBA because of the, the training and also from yeah. the expectancy level. I mean, this is a full-time job. If you can't do this job yeah. right, they're not going to keep you. It's doing, it's mm-hmm. too important. And, and whenever there's money around, people, yeah. people want to get their money and they want to get it, you know, the wrong way or the right way. They want their money. Yep. Yep. So, uh, so if you're going to manage somebody who earns money, uh, it, it's it's a predicament for sure. Money is uh, unfortunately the king, and um, on this world, in this world, anyhow. But uh, people That's like fun. you guys, people like you guys, uh, I appreciate very much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, thank you, guys. All right, uh, audience, please uh, like, share, subscribe, do your thing. Uh, follow us on all your podcast listening platforms. We are there everywhere. Let us know what more you want. Okay, all right. That's it then. Coach, thank you so much. And we need to say bye. Bye-bye.